Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Perhaps you kept your place in 1 Peter chapter 1. I hope you did. If you did not, please regain it. And then while you do that, anticipate turning to John chapter 3. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, every one of these phrases in every word is so important, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Amen? It's awesome. In the late 1960s, Chuck Colson was enlisted to serve as special counsel to President Richard Nixon. He soon became the hatchet man. Whenever there was a dirty kind of work to do, he was called upon to do it to dismiss people, to discipline people, to take a hard line with those who would oppose the president and his agenda. He was one of those who came to be known as the Watergate Seven. He, along with these other men, had broken the law. And in the breaking of the law, this man who had been a Marine, tough as nails, had been a graduate from an Ivy League law school, bright as bright could be. This man who had never faced anything that he could not overcome by his sheer willpower and intellect. He found himself beginning to lose ground. He took a careful look internally and he began to see that he was a man in deep need of God's help. He began to explore that. He'd been a self-sufficient man to that point. And as God would have it, God brought a man into his life whose name was and still is Tom Phillips. Mr. Phillips became a close friend of Colson's. Phillips was the CEO of Raytheon Corporation and a follower of Jesus Christ. He was unashamed of his relationship to Christ, and he loved the Lord. He looked for every opportunity to share Christ with those who came into his sphere of influence. And he began to talk to Chuck about Jesus. And one night, when Chuck followed the invitation to come from his home in Washington, D.C., to the outskirts of that great city to be a guest in the home of Mr. Phillips and his wife. Once again, Mr. Phillips began to press the issue with him. He said, quoting Jesus, Chuck, you must be born again. Chuck took all of that in. He left there with a heavy heart. It was a rainy night, wintry, got in his car, drove down, didn't get more than 200 yards away from the entrance to the estate. His eyes were flooding with tears. He pulled over to the side of the road on the shoulder. He put his head 
down on the steering wheel and with both hands, he grabbed it as tightly as he could. And he said, Jesus Christ, I know if you would, you could take me in to your family. I ask you, I need to be born again. And he was. That's mysterious language to, to you perhaps, this matter of being born again. It was also mysterious to a man who was very interested in the person of Christ. We don't know what all his motivation was. He was curious, of course, but it went beyond curiosity. He had admiration. He admired this man who was a great teacher whom he had come to know as Jesus. And it was beyond admiration. There was almost a sense of desperation on his part as he sought an audience with Jesus. This man's identity, Nicodemus. Nicodemus in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the Gospel of John is described thusly. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. We see several things about him. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees could trace their beginning all the way back to the Maccabean revolt when the Jews rose up against the Seleucid Empire of the Greeks and tried to unseat them and get their boot heel off of their necks. And in that period of time, there was a group who called themselves Pharisees. Literally, the name means separated ones. They separated themselves from all things Hellenistic, Greek, Gentile. They were people who adhered with a willingness to die for their adherence to the law of Moses, the Word of God. Nicodemus descended spiritually from those people. They knew the Torah, the law, from back to front and again to the back. They knew it all. He knew it all. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus paid him an incredibly high compliment in this passage of Scripture. He calls him the teacher of Israel. Not a teacher, but the teacher. He was the primo maestro of the people of God known as Israel. And he is hailed as a Pharisee by Jesus and a ruler of the Jews. This put him not only in a position of religious authority, but it put him in a position of civic authority. He was part of what is called the Sanhedrin. This number 70. And he was one of those men who had great authority in the civic world, in the political world, as the Sanhedrin had been authorized by the emperor Caesar to have control over the internal affairs of Jewish life in Israel. And he came to Jesus by night. Much discussion has been made over why he came at night. Some have suggested, and this certainly could be the truth, because he was so busy. After all, he was a keeper of the law and a teacher of the law, but also he was part of the governing body. There's another suggestion, and I lean in the direction of this suggestion. He came under the cover of night because he did not want to be found out. The reason I say that, in the 12th chapter of John, verses 42 and 43, this is what John the Apostle writes 
about the rulers of the Jews. He said, even some of the rulers of the Jews believed, but for fear of being expelled from the synagogue, having been exposed as a follower of this backwoods prophet from Galilee, they could be excommunicated. So that could and probably is from my perspective for whatever that's worth, the reason he came by night. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who would be embarrassed if your friends knew that you were here today because this is so different from anything you've ever known as far as religion. Maybe you are irreligious, no religion at all, or your religion is one which would say that if you hang out with anybody but our kind, you're in deep trouble. Well, the good news is for all of us, regardless of who we are, this message is our message. And look at what he says to Jesus in verse 2. Rabbi, this means my great one. It is reserved for a great teacher who gathered disciples around him. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. He was not the only one who recognized the incredible insight, wisdom, and authority with which Jesus Christ taught. You may remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that the writer of Matthew gives a little postscript to this splendid piece of literature addressed to disciples of Christ. And he said, the crowds were astonished. Not just the disciples, the crowds could listen in, but they were astonished because he spoke unlike their teachers as one who had authority. He had authority because he taught the Word of God. He didn't say anything except what the Father gave him to say. These are the words of Jesus, by the way, about his own understanding and communication. He listened to the Lord, his Father. The Lord gave him the message. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He was exercising great power. The word signs is the word that John uses for miracles. And this was impressive to Nicodemus and so many others as well. Look at Jesus' reply. He answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes back and he says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answers yet again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God? You've got to be born again. Enter the kingdom of God? I have to be born again. If we were to go back to 1 Peter one more time, where it talks about how our Father, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again. You know, Chuck Colson was born again by the living and abiding Word of God. That's what the Bible says later in 1 Peter chapter 1, not about Chuck, but about anybody who trusts in Christ alone. And we hear the message. And faith comes from hearing the Word of Christ. And via faith comes life. 
It's the life of Christ when we see who He is, we see who we are in light of who He is, and we come to Him and we beg Him, Lord, take control of my life. I need You. I need You. And the result is, according to 1 Peter, the great mercy of God, which is greater than our sins, the great mercy of God is applied to us, and we have an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled. That's what that verse says. And listen, reserved for you and me in heaven. The kingdom of God will come in its entirety in heaven. And if we know Jesus, the beautiful thing about the promise of the Lord in this passage of Scripture from 1 Peter and also in this section in John chapter 3, the wonderful thing is that that seat is reserved for you if you trust in Christ and nobody else can sit in it but you. That's what it means. It's reserved and nothing can cancel that reservation if you cry out to God. And you come to Jesus, just like Nicodemus came to him. With your questions, Jesus does not mind questions. He loves an inquiring mind. But he looks for people who are truly interested in hearing. And such people are candidates to be born again. He talks about this issue of you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Water, I believe, has to do with physical birth. Everybody here has this in common. All of us were born through water. We existed in our mother's womb in amniotic fluid. When the time came for our being born physically, the water broke and we came through water as it were. We were born of water, but also of the Spirit. That's the born-again experience. And the word born again means born from above, literally. Born from above. In John 1.12, the writer of John says this, but as many as received Christ, listen carefully, as many as received Christ, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. Born again. Born from above. Our salvation is all His doing. Make no mistake about it. And He is speaking to you perhaps today about your need to be born again, just as He did to Chuck Colson and so many other people along the way. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth, isn't it? And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's the second birth. Paul writes about the second birth this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You become a new person inside. We were born with a dead spot in our internal being. Our spirit is dead on arrival when we come into this world. Our bodies are alive, our souls are alive, but our spirits are dead. And then what happens the Lord Jesus, who was raised from the dead, makes it possible for us to have the same experience internally, to be raised from the dead spiritually. And when we invite Him to take over our lives, not just sort of, too many people just want a Savior for fire insurance. Look, the legitimacy of knowing Christ is based on one calling Jesus Lord and meaning it. 
yielding your life to Christ and saying, Lord, I want you. Please come and live in my life and change me. Another man I read recently about, his name is Jack Sternberg, a brilliant man, trained at MD Anderson. He was the first medical oncologist in the state of Arkansas. He personally led for the building of two different units and two separate hospitals in Little Rock for oncological assessment and application. He was a man who was large and in charge, six feet three, 250, a booming voice. He said not only was he a loud mouth, but he was a foul mouthed man. He said he could hardly speak more than two sentences without dropping the F-bomb. He would take the name of the Lord in vain. He'd say, Jesus Christ is a curse word, never thinking about it. Nobody ever challenged him about that. He was said to have been by himself, not only a loud, foul-mouthed man, but he was a temperamental man. He would just, at the drop of a hat, explode. If, if anything went wrong, especially in the surgical suite, he would just explode in anger and spew all his venom out on those present and let them know what for. The third thing which he said about himself, he was arrogant. After all, he was the one who had brought oncological medicine to Arkansas. And nobody was to challenge him because he was the king of oncological medicine. And he dealt with life and death issues every day. But somewhere along the line, he said, when I started my medical career, I had a certain level of humility. But after a while, the way I was treated by other people and revered, I began to think more about myself and before long, I was this arrogant individual. In the early days, I could go home. I was dead dog tired after putting in a 12-hour day dealing with difficult situations. I would come home, kiss my wife, put my kids under the covers, eat my dinner, and sound asleep I would be. He said something happened as he progressed and became more arrogant, more foul-mouthed, more temperamental. He said, what happened was I had to have help to go to sleep at night. And said, I would need two or three stiff drinks just to get mellowed out enough to get a few hours of sleep. At the same time, there was a woman by the name of Carol who was the chief nurse on the oncology floor. And he and she worked carefully with one another, closely. He had respected her and she respected him. But she took a step that's hard for a subordinate to take many times, and the step was to begin to witness to him about Jesus. He was a Jewish man. He'd never thought about Jesus before as a person. But something began to gnaw on him, and he began to wonder. He and his wife, by his own description, stumbled into a church where the teacher of the church, the pastor, would teach the Bible. And he became interested. He sought an audience with that pastor. And the pastor showed him from the Old Testament scriptures, as we call them, that Jesus Christ was and remains the Messiah. And he gave himself to Jesus. He said instantly, his mouth was not as loud. And his mouth was done with 
foul language. He said he didn't even have to think about it. It's just this change. Why? Because he'd been born anew. He's a new man in Christ. He said he would not flare up with his temper and spew out venom all over people. He had great patience. The only explanation was he'd been born again. He had the mind of Christ. Jesus lived in him. And Christ lived through him. And he did become a man of humility. He just introduced himself as Dr. Jack. That was it. Instead of the great gift to the medical world of Dr. Jack Sternberg. He was born again. A new man in Christ. That's what happens. And look at what he says. Jesus says in verse 7 of chapter 3 of John, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to work, just like He did in Chuck Colson through the witness of Tom Phillips, just like He did in Dr. Sternberg's life through the witness of Carol, his associate nurse. The Spirit, where does He come from? Where is he going? We don't know, just like the wind, but he's there and he's at work. And verse 9 says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Who is Jesus speaking of when he uses the word we? A careful study of the book of John would yield this. He's speaking about his Father. The Father bears witness to the Son and also the Holy Spirit. Every member of the Godhead is involved in communicating a witness about Jesus Christ and the necessity of being born again if we're to see and enter the kingdom of God. In verse 12, he said to him, Nicodemus, Nicodemus has finished speaking. If you, I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from the heaven, even the Son of Man. He's talking about himself here, Jesus is. And then listen to this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's that all about? If we were to take time to go to Numbers chapter 21, beginning with verse 9 and reading through 4 rather and reading through verse 9, this is what we would discover. The children of Israel were griping. They were experts in that when they were in the wilderness. They were griping because they had to eat manna all the time. And that's all they had. They got tired of it and they were whining to God. And God got tired of the whining. We need to take a lesson from them. And this is what happened. God sent viperous snakes into the camp. And they bit. I don't know if everyone in the camp got bitten, but a lot of them got bitten, and they were quickly to change their mind at that point because they knew they were dying, and they pled with Moses, please pray to the Father to take this away from us. Moses agreed, he pled with the father, and the father said this to Moses, get some bronze, heat it up, fashion it into the shape of a snake, 
put it on a standard, take the standard to a place where it would be visible to anyone in the camp and tell the people, circulate the word, that if they will just look at this snake of bronze, they will be made well. We do not get a statistical analysis of what happened. But the Bible does say those who looked to that monument, they were made well. The suggestion is clear. The rest of them died. There would have been some, perhaps, who would have reasoned, that's absurd. Just looking at some piece of bronze work is going to make me well. But many more, I'm sure, said, that rings true to my heart. I need to look. And look at what the last verse of our text says, 15. That whoever believes may in Christ have eternal life. The Son of Man lifted up on a stake. What was it? The cross. That's what it was. And if we believe in Him, and the idea of believing in Him is the idea of not just having intellectual understanding of who He is, but it includes that, but it also encompasses in the matter of my yielding my will to Him and saying to Jesus, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, I can't do this myself. I have nothing to offer you but filthy rags for righteousness. Jesus, save me, please, and give me eternal life. I need to be born again. Isn't that a great invitation? A question as we finish. What about Nicodemus? Is there any statement in the book of John that he got saved? Did he get born again? Well, there's a strong suggestion without saying it outright. If we were to go to the 19th chapter of John, we see this man, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man and a disciple of Christ. And what Joseph does, he comes to Pilate, summons the courage. He was a ruler of the Jew, just like Nicodemus. Summoned the, summoned the courage to ask Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus and prepare it for burial before sundown, which would have been the beginning of the Sabbath, and that would have been a no-no. So he did. And guess who joined him? Nicodemus. Nicodemus joined him. And Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds, imagine, of a mixture of aloes and myrrh to prepare the body of Jesus for a proper burial. I think Nicodemus was born again as a result of the conversation which he had with Jesus. Maybe not on that night, but maybe he had witnessed the crucifixion. We don't know. But you can be born again today if you would give your life to Christ. Would you bow your head right now? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And I pray for those who are present today who have wrestled with not giving their lives to you. I pray that those people who are holding back would let go and ask you to give them the new birth. If you're here today, 
confess your need for Jesus and give Him your life and you will be born again. And there's a place reserved for you in heaven as a result of what Jesus did for you on the cross and through the resurrection. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, take some time to come talk to me, to Pastor Gus, to Ron, to Pastor Sam. There'll be a lot of people who'd love to talk to you about it. You need to tell somebody that you made that decision today. And we're here to hear from you, if you wish. God bless you. It's been great to share this Easter with you today. Amen.